Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Good morning. Again, good to be with you all. Um, before we get into the message, just an encouragement again. It was talked about in the announcements, but tonight I'm going to start a class. Um, the, uh, if you saw the slide that Lauren made, it, it's, it's intense, you know, it's, and the title is even more intense. But uh, I just had this sense that this is what the Lord wanted me to do, um, so that's why we're doing it. It's not just because it's a, it's a neat thing or, or it's a cool topic to talk about, but um, I just had the sense that God said, you need to empower the people of Washington to have a greater understanding of this topic so they could know what's, what is happening around them, but also what's coming uh, eventually. So if, if you're available, I would encourage you to come tonight. Um, it's going to be for three Sunday nights, and we're going to, tonight, going to lay the foundation for a lot of uh, the understanding of the, of the spiritual world, and specifically around the demonic realm, and um, it's going to be good. Uh, we're also going to record it as well, so you can listen to it on our podcast um, if you can't physically be there. But um, as I will say, it's always better in person than it is uh, listened to a second time around. Uh, I'm going to be in the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelation chapter 2, and then we're going to be in Acts chapter 19, because actually those two uh, portions of Scripture correspond to one another. And so that's where we're going to be hanging out. Today, before we get into that, I had an opportunity to uh, go on a, a trip. <clears throat> excuse me, three weeks ago, I think it was um, a bike trip. I do an annual bike trip with some some uh, friends. We were up in Michigan this time, and it uh, I think the last week in in September it was. Um, it was like thirty uh, something degrees here in Toledo, and it's colder the farther north you get. And we were sleeping in tents, and so it got, I think it got down to 36, um, which is chilly if you're sleeping outside in a tent, uh, regardless of what kind of sleeping bag you have. But one of the things that we did was we gathered um, around a fire. Somebody would always build a fire, um, and actually John Reed was on that trip, and, and he'd be running around gathering wood, and, and I guess John likes to burn things. Because um, every, <clears throat> every night we got to the campsite, John's like, I'll start the fire, um, and others helped, but... Uh, we would gather around, so we would eat, and then we'd, we'd make food, we'd set up tents, because we'd ride, it would almost be dark, and we'd scramble to unpack everything, because we moved locations every time, so we're going from place to place to place, so every time we got to where we're going, we had to unpack, set up, by the time we got set up, it was almost dark, and then we're cooking food, and then we're all huddled around the fire, because it's cold, and, and as night goes on, it got colder and colder, and um, one of the things you realize is it's warmer by the fire. And you don't realize that until you um, kind of step away for whatever reason from the fire, and then you realize, like, oh, it's cold. Um, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You've been camping, you've been, okay, you're with me. And <clears throat> every once in a while, um, John or, or Gabe was there, or Pat would, would jump up and run into the woods, and you hear, you know, creak, creak, and they'd come back with a pile of, of wood, and they'd put it on the fire. Um, but one of the things, you know, fire is just physics, if you don't continue to feed it, it goes out. And, and it slowly goes out. And, and there's a point in time where you're like, okay, we're going to bed. We stop feeding the fire because we don't want the fire to keep going because we're not actually sleeping around the fire. 
Um, and we always had a fire pit. We were always very safe, just to, to let you know, especially those watching online, always safe. <laughs> always safe. Um, but it's a reminder of, of the faith as well. The faith is like a fire. It needs to be cultivated, and it needs to be fed. And if you stop putting wood on the fire of your faith, it will start to dim and, and slowly die down. And that kind of fire, no one can warm themselves by. And this morning, as we talk about repentance, repentance is like lighter fluid poured on fire. It just reignites things. Um, and, but still, the material has to be there in order to be burned, and if you have no material, the, the fire will light again, and, and it, will, it will rise up again, but it will quickly fade away just as quickly as it rose. And that's what happens in, in these cycles of life, and, and what I've come to notice is there is a cycle of life. I remember um, George Barna talked about this, and, and there's this pattern, this chart, and I think this was back in, in the early 2000s, way back when, you know, and uh, he he, I remember being at a conference, a leadership conference, and this chart was drawn, and the chart was, um, you know, X and Y access, and, and this access was passion for the Lord, and this access was length of time following Jesus. And the longer one had a, a relationship with Jesus, the more years they followed Jesus, the lower the passion became. And that was the standard across the nation. This was just for America, primarily. And it was polled and asking questions like, how is your faith? How vibrant is it? How much time do you spend in worship? How much time do you spend in prayer? How many people do you share the gospel with? How, how, how passionate are you about your walk with the Lord? And, and, the, and the stats show the longer that you walk with the Lord, the less passionate the average person becomes because they stop tending to the fire. Or they think other people should tend to the fire for them, i.e. pastors or other other things of that. Um, and so as we talk about this idea of repentance this morning, this is such a, a key aspect of, of following Jesus, and we all need it. And it, repentance is not a once and done type of thing. We repent un, unto salvation, yes, but, but that cycle needs to continue on. It can't just be this one time where we repent, we give our lives to Christ. After that, there comes more and more and more because God is gracious and he doesn't show us all our sin all at one time. He takes care of that sin at one time, and that's dealt with on the cross. That's finished and done. But there's more within us that needs to be unpacked and dealt with. And the deeper we get into the Lord, the closer we get to the heart of God, the, the more our sin is exposed. And the more our sin is exposed, the more we desire to release that and to hold it up to God and say, here it is, you have it. Because I want to be like Jesus. And in order to be like Jesus, I can't carry this baggage around with me. I want to be used by you. In order to be used by you, I can't continue to carry the, this baggage or this weight that I have with me. And so as a staff, we were talking about, you know, every, every Tuesday we gather, and we have the most amazing staff meetings. I wish I could bring some of you in just to be a part of it. Um, just the energy that's there, the passion that's there, the stories that are shared. Um, we're going through a book right now that's been just great for us. The elders are going through the book, the same book as well. And... I was trying to articulate, so one of the things that happens at staff meeting is, I, this is Tuesday now, I do the best that I can to kind of communicate to the staff, and especially to Bridget, what I'm going to try and preach on, and she's sitting there, you know, wanting to know, because that's the main time we get together and meet, but if you've ever prepared a sermon, you know it's not ready on Tuesday, you know, it's ready like Saturday night, usually, 
And, and actually, I was texting back and forth. Bridget and I were texting last night at like 10 o'clock, um, kind of finishing thoughts and, and ideas. But what I shared with her is, is that my desire is to see Washington come to a place of a, to have a repentant heart as a community, as individuals, but also as a community. And I said, Bridget, the way that that's going to happen is, is if I talk less and we just create a space where, that can, where the spirit can move. Because I'm convinced that I, if me saying more is not going to get us there. It's only by the movement of God. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to make ourselves available. We want to be obedient to the movement of God and the power of the Spirit this morning. So I just want to pause and I want to pray. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you this morning as, as we look at your word and we look at examples of repentance and transformation and passion, Lord, that you would renew within us that first love. That you would pour out your Spirit in this place, Lord, and you would rend us, Lord, that we would our hearts would be exposed and we'd realize what we need to let go of and surrender. Father, I just pray for those, especially in this room, that have been holding on to things for a long time. Maybe it's hidden sin. Maybe it's things that they are ashamed of or don't know how to deal with. Lord, I pray that they would have the courage to bring those to the surface, to surrender them to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us with your presence. Fill us with your grace and your mercy. Help us to see that as we let go, as we surrender, we gain more. We don't lose. So God, I ask that you would have your way with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 2. This is written to the church of Ephesus. It says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is Jesus. This is Jesus speaking to the churches. And there's a set of letters. We're just looking at the one to the church in Ephesus this morning. Verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So this is the church in Ephesus is being described by Jesus with these ways. So listen to this. Your hard work, you do not grow weary. You persevered. You do not tolerate wicked people. You tested false teachers correctly. You endured hardship for the name of Jesus. This sounds like an amazing place, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but if I was looking for a church in today's age, especially in America, and these were the descriptions of the church I walked into, I'd be like, this is it, I'm sticking around. I found a good place. Let's, let's hunker down, let's commit, let's see what the Lord has to do. All these things are, sound amazing. However, if you knew the birth of Ephesus and what it looked like and how it operated earlier on, you'd understand why Jesus is saying what he's saying to the church in Ephesus. So although these are compliments, what he's doing is he's he's articulating a fire that's gone down and no longer is burning to the extent that it's capable of burning. Verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So what is the love that they had at first that they're forsaking for a church that sounds like in America today it would be packed full of people and vibrant and healthy? And yet, according to Jesus, it's not good enough. Not cutting it. Acts chapter 19 gives us a, an image of, of the church in Ephesus. I want to read it to you. 
I was going to just summarize it, but I thought, no, I want to read the actual word of God to you. And my wife reminds me of this. If all we did was gather and read the word of God out loud, that would be a good use of time. Because we're blessed by it. Actually, the revelation tells us that. Verse verse, uh, 19.1, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So this is the same place that this letter of Jesus' words is being written to the church in Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, so he found people that believed in Jesus. And he asked them this question about receiving the Holy Spirit. They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Talking about being baptized with water. Okay, we're familiar with that. That's what John's baptism is. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So Paul lays hands on them, and he prays for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what exactly happened. And a manifestation of that filling was speaking in tongues and prophesying. And we see that as a pattern in the scriptures. Okay? And it was fascinating. I, I was reading through these commentaries this week. I was in the library and I was reading through the commentaries. And these commentaries were predominantly written in like the 80s and the 90s. And I kept going through commentary after commentary. And, and all they did was try to explain away uh, this passage around the Holy Spirit. Because they didn't. These, these were academics that weren't necessarily for or understanding of the filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because that's a charismatic thing. And so they were... They, we're saying things like, well, these guys actually weren't, weren't actually saved in the first time. And that's why they, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And that's not the point. Paul's saying, hey, you can, you can be saved, and that's different than being, having the Spirit fill you. When, when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. That doesn't mean you give the Spirit free reign in your life. There's a difference. And so being filled or baptized in the Spirit is, is kind of this opening that allows the Spirit more access to who you are. And it's amazing. We, um, how do you put this into words? We have the capacity and the power to shut down the most powerful thing in the world, in the universe. And we do that through disobedience. When we flow in the movement and the will of God, we, we step into that stream, the movement of God. But we say no to it all the time. We shut it down. We have that, that's what free will does. That's the power of free will. Now, does God's will happen with or without us? Yes, it will. But God's desire is that it would happen with us. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke, this is verse 8, boldly, there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So he's there preaching the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and, and publicly maligned the way. So that's Christianity. That's what they called the way in that point. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussion daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It's ironic. The synagogue in Ephesus was in one place, and so Paul was basically kicked out of the synagogue for preaching the kingdom of God, preaching about Jesus as the Messiah, as the way, the truth, and the life. And not everybody was was game to that. And so he was removed from there, and he went down to uh, the Gentile pagan lecture hall. And sets up shop there for two years. And, it, and historically, the, the lecture hall of Tyrannus is, is give or take less than 100 yards away from the synagogue. Which I just love. You know, it's like Paul 
sticking it to the Jewish people. Um, so this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now think about that for a minute. All the Jews and the, the Greeks or the Gentiles in the province of Asia, they're in Ephesus. Ephesus is a major hub, a major city. Asia is much bigger than Ephesus. And within two years, because of the passion and, and the, what was going on through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of Asia heard about who Jesus was. That's not because Paul left Ephesus. That's because what Paul did through, or excuse me, the power of the Holy Spirit through Paul did in Ephesus spread like wildfire. Because in Ephesus, the fire was burning. And it was burning so hot and so high that it was seen for miles, hundreds of miles to come. This is, this is the power of God, people. This is what happens. And, and it's important for us as, <clears throat> as believers to not read this and say, well, that was nice for Ephesus. That's not the point. The point is not to look at Revelation 2 and say, well, that's the church in Ephesus. No, no, no. This is for us. And we need to look at ourselves and we need to examine ourselves and say, how do we, how do we stack up with this? What does Washington Church look like? What would the letter that Jesus would write to Washington Church say? God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that, that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illness were cured and the evil spirits left them. So demons were being cast out and people were being healed by items that Paul simply touched. That still happens today. I've heard stories of this. Powerful stories. That's still a thing. That's not just for the Bible times. That's for us as well. Actually, the book of Acts is about the church. That's the period we're still in. So we're reading about our own history. And that history should form us and make us who God wants us to be. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Actually, in the Greek it says, who the hell are you? Is the literal translation. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That's intense. That's some of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight. This type of, of passage of what's taking place. Because I can tell you it's still around today. I've seen it firsthand. And I'll tell some of those stories tonight. When this became known, so that event about became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus. They were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. <clears throat> Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, a total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So this is powerful stuff that's going on here. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. The spiritual gifts are being manifested. The kingdom of God is being taught for two years to extent that all the residents, in both Jew and Greek and Asia, heard. Miracles and signs and wonders were happening. Healing, deliverance, people being set free from sin and bondage. Repentance was taking place. People were being healed from touching just physical items. The name of the Lord Jesus was being praised because the power of the movement of God among the people were happening. 
And then we have this verse in 18, Acts 18, when it says, Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. These are people who are believers in Jesus, who are openly confessing and repenting at what they were doing. Confession and repentance was taking place on such a radical scale. People were seeing how God was moving and it was changing and transforming their lives. But these were Jesus-following people. And what these Jesus-following people were doing is they were holding on to their old ways. See, in Ephesus, Ephesus was an epicenter of many, many things. But one of it was witchcraft. And these people had learned about this and that this stuff is actually real and it works. And then it began to, to seek it out and to study it and to learn about it. And we'll talk about a little bit about this tonight because behind a lot of these things are demonic powers that are fueling these things to happen. They're real. They're actually taking place still today. We, we think they're kind of, uh, when we pass by fortune tellers and things like that, but those people have power, but that power doesn't come from the Lord. And so if it doesn't come from the Lord, it comes from someplace. Something is fueling that to happen. It's real. And that's what they did. And so they... they learned about Jesus and they gave their lives to Christ, but they didn't get everything over to Jesus when they gave their lives to Christ. They continued to practice some of the practices they had. And again, no, no fault or foul, that's what they knew. And we do the same thing. We, we drag our lives and we, at some point we come to know Jesus and, and there's this amazing transformation that takes place, but not all of it happens at once. Because again, God is gracious. And I've heard stories of people who are coming to their life coming to give their lives to Christ or either struggling with alcohol or something else. And, and in that moment, God heals them of those things. That's also real. But most of us have an experience where God slowly takes us through a transformational process. And that's what was happening here. And, and so these people were seeing what was going on around them and they were recognizing what they were doing was wrong and actually sinful and defiant of God. And they repented of those things. And they brought them all together and they burned them in a fire. They didn't just kind of let them go or kind of toss them in the trash. They saw them as, as vile and negative and bad. And so they brought them together. And, and it says that it was, it was 50,000 drachma. And if you do the math in that, you get out your Greek calculator and you calculate according to, to today's rates, <clears throat> which doesn't take that long because essentially a drachma was almost a day's wage. So 50,000 times a day's wage gives you about 16.3 million, $16 million. Can you imagine that? That's a fire I'd love to see. Where they brought together all these things, the things they thought were life-giving, the things they thought were going to help them in some way. And they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring Jesus and those things and have them cohabitate together. And they recognize through conviction and eventually repentance that those things, that doesn't work. Because we serve a God that's a jealous God and he doesn't want to share us with anybody else. And so they said, I, what I want is more of that, what I see happening around me. And so they gladly surrendered in the millions of dollars these items and they burned them because there was no going back for them and they didn't want anybody else. They didn't want to sell them and make profit because they didn't want anybody else to get a hold of those items and use them themselves because they saw them as deadly and they knew how detrimental they were. And so that's why they burned them. And in this place of Ephesus, nothing short of a, of a revival was taking place. And we hear that word revival, and that's actually what, what uh, we're reading about right now as a staff and as elders. But let me share some things about revival, because it's not something we're accustomed to. The average believer doesn't know what a revival is, but if you experienced it, you'd know it. 
This is what Charles Finney said. Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It is giving up one's will in surrender to God's will. Revival radically impacts everything it touches. It leads people deeper into the heart of God and leaves nothing untouched. Revival is what it looked like when Jesus walked this earth. And we'd come into a city, that city would experience a revival. And people would be healed. People would be saved. People would be set free of demonic oppression. They'd be set free of of bonds of sin. Because that's what God does. And that's what God desires to do more than anything else. And as a result, the region around them saw the fire that burned in Ephesus for hundreds, if not thousands of miles in every direction. And people's lives were transformed and changed. That's what Ephesus looked like. That's how they functioned. That's the contrast between Acts 19 and Revelation 2. That's what's being put up there. And that's what Jesus is attempting to say. Look, this is how you used to be. And now I see how you are. And again, how you are to us is like phenomenally healthy. But compared to where they used to be and how they used to act are like ashes that are still lit just barely. Because the fire wasn't tended to in the way that it needed to be tended to. And this is what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus going back to Revelation 2, verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He says, remember where you came from. Remember the passion you had. Remember what was going on here. Remember what was taking place. That's where I want to take you back. That's what I want to see happening. This is what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus. Because again, fires go out that are not tended to. Now, we're, at the time of, of Acts chapter 19, this is probably in the 40s. Jesus dies somewhere in the early 30s. The church begins in Acts chapter 2. By the time we get to 19, it's probably been, I don't know, five years, 10 years. We don't know. But the earliest is probably 42, 43. And when Revelation is being written by John on the island of Patmos, he's probably in his 90s at the time. They are written in the 90s. So he's an old man, which is miraculous, actually, because most of the time the Jewish men would live into their 60s, and he's way older than that because the Lord kept him alive to do this work. And so we have a span of about 40 years, give or take, that's taken place between the, the inception and the birth of Ephesus and that wildfire that came to be, and then where they are at now, and as they're receiving this letter written by Jesus. And it happens slowly. The passion for God begins to wane over time. Just like I talked about in that chart, over time it begins to wane if it's not tended to. If we're not seeking, and that fire is not being kept alive. Because why? What happens? Life creeps in, right? We get jobs, we have children. We seek after other things, we, education, status, life, the praises of men. We chase after fancy cars and houses and you fill in the blank. We all have our thing that we long for, these idealistic things that we chase after. And those become the center focus. And the problem is we can't have those as, as the center focus and keep stoking the flame. In the same way the church of Ephesus couldn't keep their books and their materials and hold Jesus at the same time. Do you see the picture there? That's what's happening. And so I think 
There's compromise that happens. They stop taking risks and chances. If you remember, if you went through the vision process with us, Mike showed us this chart at one point of, of the birth of things and, and the pattern of, of systems that go on. And early on, it's chaos and it, it's, it's, it's wild and things are happening and it seems out of control. And then eventually a little bit of structure is formed. And when that little bit of structure is formed, it serves that, that movement and that, that passion well. But eventually you get far enough and any system or any organization moves to a point where they don't keep coming back and stay vibrant and reinventing themselves. They move to a point where a small group of people are making the decisions and they're making the decisions based on the finances that exist. And all they try and do is keep the status quo. And you see this all the time in companies. They peak and they get to this point of peak and then they begin to slowly plateau, but nobody wants to admit that they're dying because maybe they're big enough to sustain themselves. And this could go on for decades and decades. But eventually you get to that point in a company where that company begins to coast. And in the Christian faith, there is no coasting. There's only going backwards. You're either moving forward in your passion with God, and that looks like this, yes. But if you don't keep coming back up here and growing and deepening, then it's, there's a decline that's taking place. And if you watch the chart overall time, it's actually a slow decline if you back up more and more and more. It's like my... Uh, what a retirement statement that I received in the last couple of months, you know? <laughs> Super encouraging. But that's what's happening. That's what's going on in Ephesus. And that can ha easily happen in the church. And, and the other thing that we have to be careful in the church is habitual sin that creeps in. There's uh, one of my favorite authors. He talks about this. He says, you know, an organization is unhealthy when when they begin to fail to recognize sin or they begin to not call sin what is sin in, within the culture. That something's off and something's awry. And that begins to happen with us. Sin that we knowingly engage in but keep hidden. Sin that we unknowingly engage in that is oppressive to others. Happens all the time. And in the midst of all of this, most of the time we can probably say that we stand for Jesus. That we've remained faithful in the practice of faith. That we've persevered. That we're not growing weary. That we're not tolerant of false teachers. The exact description that Jesus has of Ephesus, even in that place of secret sin, even in that place of decline, even in that place where we're not stoking the fire, we can probably claim that those things are true, but we know that inside we're slowly dying. And inside, the vibrancy and the passion is not what it used to be. But everything outside might look fine to everybody else. And we've become good in our society of painting a picture that we are okay when we're not okay. And repentance is an invitation to come back to that place to realize that nobody's okay. And we bring it back to the Lord and then we receive this freedom because that's what repentance does. It brings freedom. It brings new life. It stokes the fire. But Jesus says, repent and go back to the passion and the vibrancy and not caring for anything else but your relationship with me. Not seeking the praise of man or validation in any other place. Not striving for success. Come back to the place that you had when we first met. And if we think about that in our own lives, we think about the times that we had passion and we were passionate in faith. And again, a lot for many of us, it's when we first came to the Lord. 
Or maybe we learn these new insights, or for some of us, it was our college days. We look back and we can say, man, I was so on fire for the Lord. And then we sit and we say, well, what happened between then and now? Because in healthy Christianity, it should look like this, not like this. And we get into that place. And my, my brothers and sisters, those things we need to repent of. Those things aren't okay. We go through lulls, yes. We, we will always have valleys, and, and the valleys of the shadow will always, always exist, but that shouldn't define us of who we are. Because remember what I talked about last week, that God raises those things up and makes a way for us. And that's the place that we want to find ourselves in. He says at the end, verse 7, in Revelation 2, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the beautiful thing about this passage is that it's not over. And I'm not standing here as a pastor saying, that Washington Church is like Ephesus. I think in many ways we're not. If you've been around for the vision process, there's, there's passion, there's vibrancy, there's things going on that have not happened at Washington in 20 plus years, or maybe even longer than that. People are experiencing the healing power of God. People are being set free, coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Those are awesome and amazing things. But even more so, we have to get past the layer that we present to everybody else and allow the Holy Spirit to, get, to dig down deep and expose ourselves in such a way to say, Lord, here I am. What is it that's keeping me from experiencing you in even greater levels? Because there are things upon things upon things. And there will always be things until we are face-to-face with Jesus. And so we don't need to be afraid of those things. But oftentimes those things we've allowed to define us. We've allowed them to mark us in some way, or we see ourselves as wounded, or we see ourselves as, as unsalvageable. And I can tell you those, those aren't truths from God when you hear those things. So we have to be careful of that source of that and what that is and where that comes from and what we listen to and what we don't listen to. But we should be followers of Jesus who engage in, in a life of repentance on a regular basis, pouring ourselves out before the Lord and to one another, not just keeping it to ourselves, especially those things that need to be reconciled with other human beings. It's not okay just to say, God, forgive me for how I wounded fill in the blank. God actually says, well, that's great. I hear what you're saying, and I do forgive you, but also go and make it right with that other person because I care about them too, and I know that healing will come through your action of repentance and confession to them as well. So that's why it's supposed to be the way it is because our relationship with God, we've gotten to a place, I think, in society where we just think, well, it's, it's between me and the Lord, and that's absolutely not what the Scripture says. So that might be the truth that you've taken in, and that might be the truth that you've lived by, but it's not what the text tells us. The text actually says otherwise. It says you need to share those things with others. And if you've ever had that experience of doing that, it is one of the most life-giving things you will ever do. But our ego is so afraid to be humiliated. What the ego is trying to do is to hold on to the old way. But if we begin to realize that in Christ we have this freedom, And if we can just get over ourselves in that way, we can surrender what needs to be surrendered, experience repentance and confession, and then the forgiveness and new life through Christ. That's the point. 
Because every sin that we hold on to, hidden, is like snubbing our nose at the cross. Because essentially what you're saying is, I can, I can take that on and I'm fine with that. I can carry that, which is a lie. So Jesus, I don't need you in this area of my life. And when we do that, the fire begins to go out. Because we think we live under the illusion of that. We can control that and we can hold that. But I'm telling you this morning, you cannot. And the reason that you feel the way you do, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins and, and makes it known to us. And that's a gift. It might suck. The feeling might be terrible. But it's a gift. That's grace. That's God saying, why don't we let that out? Why don't we surrender that so that we can, we can be renewed in that? And we can remove that from your life so it's no longer an obstacle for you. But you can experience fullness of life in Jesus, which is why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus didn't come to make us partially free. He came to fully set us free. But it's up to us to the degree that we experience that fullness of life. Which is mind-boggling. I wish it wasn't the case. I wish that Jesus would just do it all. It makes everything so much easier. And so this is what we're going to do. I want to invite us into a, a prayer of confession this morning. And this is how we're going to kind of wrap things up. And, and uh, I want to just create a space where you have time with the Lord. And whatever that leads to, I don't know. If that means you need to get up and you need to go say something to somebody else, that's what the space will be for. If it means that you need to get down on your knees and just spend some time with getting right with the Lord, that's okay too. But we're going to start with, with this prayer of confession. We're going to say it out loud as a community of faith. And the reason we have this is because we need these promptings. We need to be led into these things. And so we're going to allow these words to lead us into this. And then after we get to the end of the confession, I just want you and Jesus to do what you and Jesus need to do. Whatever that looks like. And, and it might look like just saying, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what it is that we need to talk about. And I can tell you that the Spirit will. Because that's part of the job of the Spirit. Because the Spirit wants to see you set free. So that you can be used by God in powerful and profound ways. Just like the church of Ephesus in Acts 19. So that we go from just kind of mediocre or we go from coasting into vibrancy again. And can you imagine what would begin to happen if a group even this small began to be passionate with repentance and passionate in seeking the Lord? The entire city of Toledo within two years would hear about who Jesus is. Guaranteed. Just from your obedience and you sharing your own story. In the month of February, I think it is. That might change, but we're going to do another class on evangelism. On sharing our faith. That not, has not been a strong suit of this house. But it need, that needs to change. So we want to equip and empower our people to share basically your story and the goodness of God with others. Because we owe it to the world to be doing that. And so I want to invite you to do this. I want to invite you, if you can, let's all get down on our knees as we say this um, prayer of confession together. And as we say it, I want to invite you to say it. I'm trying to figure out how to say this. Um, Some of you might struggle to say these words. But I can tell you, this is pieced together from, from creeds that have been around for a long time, 100 years. And I can tell you 
for 99.9% .9 of us in this room, all of what is in this is absolutely true. But some of you might struggle to say these words. I want to encourage you to push past that struggle and make this a prayer of your heart. And let this prayer of your heart begin something that allows God to do even more in you as we move into that place. And so we're going to speak this together as a congregation. And then we're going to, and then Bridget's going to come up and just play. And we're just going to have an open time of prayer and connecting with the Lord. And during that open time, uh, prayer team, after you've had space with God, if you could get up and make yourself available too to pray with people, to pray over people, to lay hands on people, so that we can experience what God wants to do in and through us this morning. So let us say this together. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong we have done and the good we have left undone. Forgive us for losing the passion of our first love and straying. Purge us from selfishness, the fear of man, and the love of praise. Forgive us for the hidden sin that we have embraced in our lives and left unrepentant. Lord, you are full of compassion and gracious, slow to anger and full of mercy. There is always forgiveness with you. Restore to us the joy of our salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Amen. So as Bridget comes and plays, I just want to give this space to you, whatever you want to do with it, to have conversation with the Holy Spirit around repentance in your life, around sin that needs to be let go of, because we cannot hold on to what we want to hold on to and what God has for us. Those things cannot coexist at the same time. So let this be a space of surrender and letting go to what God has for you.
My hope and prayer is that this would just be the beginning for each and every one of us to develop a pattern, a habit of coming before the Lord and pouring our hearts out and walking with others through it, that that would become normal and regular. And I'm sure that there's story upon story here in this room that we could stay for hours and hear of God's goodness, and maybe at some point we need to do that. Let's stand and share in the benediction together. We are a community of disciples of Jesus Christ, embodying the power and the giftings of the Holy Spirit, cultivating space for healing, and living in and expanding God's kingdom on earth. Go in peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.